0: This morning, we're going to begin a brand new sermon series, and the title of it is A Christmas Story. And in these four messages, we're going to lay a clear doctrinal foundation about who the baby in the manger really was and is, and how this is relevant to our lives. So I want you to follow along with me as we examine a very familiar passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. And you know this uh, probably by heart. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Did you know that in the Hebrew, that's actually one word, Wonderful Counselor? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're reading out of which Testament? We're reading out of the Old Testament. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. This is a, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ's birth in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, this passage was written about seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was born. And again, you can read it and know he's talking about the coming of Messiah. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore. I love this last sentence, and i got to tell you, I've read this passage many, many, many times, but I never really paid much attention to the very last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, I looked at the other part that I've read today. I've looked at that very closely in years gone by as a pastor and a minister and a Bible student. But I just never really paid much attention to the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So I looked up what that meant and discovered that the best way to interpret that, the best way to understand that, is to realize that what it was saying was that Almighty God enthroned in heaven, God the Father, has put all of his divine energy into seeing that Messiah Jesus comes to save our soul. Isn't that powerful? I mean, that, that's what those two verses are about. It's about the coming of a baby. It's about the coming of Jesus. It's about the coming of Messiah. And then it says in that last sentence, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We'll see that it's done. will ensure that a Messiah comes to save us from our sin. Can I get a thank you, Lord, out there for that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you, Father, for giving your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming willingly to the earth, dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead. Some years ago, uh, back when I had hair, um, B.C., before carpet, um, an American astronaut climbed down a ladder and put his feet on the surface of the moon. The President of the United States of America, who at that time was Richard Nixon, said this was the greatest event in human history for a man to put his feet on the moon. The greatest event in human history. With all due respect to the President, the greatest event in human history is not when a man put his feet on the moon, but the greatest event in all of history is when Almighty God, Came down to earth in the form of a little baby, and as he grew, put his feet on the earth. That is the greatest event that ever, ever happened. We call that event the incarnation. We call that event the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, the first coming of the Christ. We call that event the first Christmas morning. History's greatest event was when God came to the earth in the form of a baby boy named Jesus. I'd like to say to all the highly educated, very learned people that are way smarter than me, I'd just like to say a few things to those people. Now, we've got some people here at our church who are highly educated and very learned. But they've learned the most important thing, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is our only hope of salvation, our only hope of heaven. But there are many in the world today who don't worship at church, but they worship at the shrine of their computers. They worship at the shrine of their technology or advanced technologies that we all enjoy. But I'd like to say to them, who have all that knowledge but don't know the Lord Jesus, that if you don't understand the truth of Christmas, then you do not have the golden key to knowledge. Because the golden key to knowledge, the most important thing that a man or a woman, a little boy or a little girl can know, is that God came to the earth in the form of a man. He lived a perfect life, gave his life on a cross, and rose from the dead. And if you will believe him and receive him, you will be born not of the flesh again, but you will be born of the spirit. You will enjoy a second birth, a, a, a birth of your spirit. See, the Bible says we are born dead. We are born dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, and we must, we must be made alive. We must be, the Bible uses this word, quickened, made alive. And that can only happen in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the new birth. I thought about this. How sad would it be to know biology, the very study of life itself, but not to know Jesus Christ, the giver of all life. How sad would it be to know astronomy, to study the stars and the cosmos and the heavens and the solar systems and the galaxies to know all about that but not know Jesus Christ the bright and morning star and how he will take you to heaven how sad to know geology and all the formations and layers of rocks and all of all the geological ages but not to know Jesus Christ who is called the rock of ages and not be able to sing, as we did this morning, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. How sad to know botany. That is the study of flowers, the study of plant life. How sad to understand the details of that, the the, the genetics, even the DNA of that, and all of the deep things of that kind of research, but still not to know Jesus, who the Bible says is the sweetest rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. And like a real flower that God created, can perfume your life and make it better, make it eternal. How sad. To be educated. And I'm not against education. I thank God for education. But how sad to be educated. And to know history. And to know science from the beginning to the end. And yet, though you know history, you don't know his story. And you don't know about this central event called Christmas. The central event of all time. The story of Jesus. One great preacher said this. He said, a wise man is ignorant, a rich man is poor, a strong man is weak until he knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. If you're here today, if you're in this auditorium and you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would invite you to know him. I would invite you to reach out to him today. I would invite you, you know, uh, one of the things we say here at the bridge is you can be long before you believe. We, we teach that. If, you, if you're not a believer yet and you're investigating the things of Jesus, um, then we welcome you. We were all there one time and thank God for a church that welcomed me when I didn't know Christ and gave me a chance to come to know him, first of all, through his people. So when we say, you belong here before you believe, um, a lot of people get confused by that. We got a real ugly email uh, not long ago from somebody saying, so you can be a member of your church, and, and, and you can teach, and, and you don't even know. G-. And I'm like, <clears throat> I think that went over his head. You can belong before you believe. So you know what we did? We didn't write back another email, bad email, going, man, our pastor will go brave heart on you if you say things like that. We we didn't send an email like that. We we wrote him back and said, we'd like to meet with you. We'd like to meet with you and, and explain to you what that means that you belong before you believe. And we met with him, a couple of guys from the staff went and sat down and met with him. And he had a we had a lot of questions he couldn't answer. And he was very stern. And he had a lot of rules you had to live by to be the right kind of Christian and to really be a Christian. And the church wasn't for lost people, it was for Christians. Well, i got to tell you something. When we say you belong before you believe, that's because we view ourselves as a hospital for broken people. We don't view ourselves. Now I'm telling you, there are churches who do view themselves as a country club for Christians. And, and that's fine, I guess, if that's what they want to do. They say the Bible teaches that. Well, well, we don't believe the Bible teaches that. We believe the Bible uh, teaches that the church is a lighthouse in the community. And, and when broken people ride by and see our steeple or see our building sitting over here, you know, they know that one day when their back is against the wall, they got a place they can go. They got somebody they can talk to. Did you know there's a whole bunch of people in our community right now who are coming here, and they're going to give their heart to Jesus, and they just don't even know it yet? I mean, they're just thinking about him, and they're riding by, and they're seeing our signs, and, and, and so you need to pay for their food, you know, and, and they were just talking about us bad to somebody, and then we buy them a hamburger. Yeah, get that. And so, And so... You know, they're, they're, they're right there, buddy, and, and they're hearing about us, and they're, they're hearing we're weird. I had a guy come to me the other week and say, man, I, I, I heard about the bridge. I heard uh, some guys at Bojangles one morning talking about the bridge, and they said, you know, all they do at that church is, is look at a big TV screen, and everybody sits in a recliner and drinks coffee. That's all they do at that church. Now, <laughs> the guy who told me that said, I didn't say anything to them, but I thought, man, I'm going to that church. That's my kind of church. (laughs) He said, and then I came out here and found out that it was a church that preached the unadulterated, straight-up, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And while they're preaching it, they're loving on you and welcoming you. That's who we are. When we say you belong before you believe, here's what a hospital says. It says you belong in the hospital before you're healed. Isn't that right? I don't want anybody meet me at the door of the hospital, going, "Whoa, dude! You got blood on you. You got mud. You're not. Well, you hurt? Were you in some kind of wreck?" I tell you what you do. You go home and get all that blood off, and you get cleaned up. Cause see, it's sterile up in here. We have sterilized this. Listen, think about a church. There are churches who would meet people at the front door and say, we're sterilized up in here. We don't want your kind. i tell you what you do. You go out there and look like me and dress like me and smell like me and talk like me, and then you come back and we'll welcome you. I don't want to go to a hospital that's going to tell me i got to get healed before I can get in the hospital. I'm preaching today. And I don't want to go to a church that tells me I can't come just like I am as I'm trying to find out and discover who Jesus is. Amen. About to go karate kid on somebody. <laughs> and, then we, and then our next word is commit. And we want you to come on in here, but I'm telling you what it's all about. We get you in here, it's the spider said to the fly. Because we want you to commit to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right up front. There's n- we can't change you. The bridge isn't going to change you. You can come here and join every service team we got. You can put $150 in the offering every Sunday. And we hope you will. But I want to tell you something. We got to get you to Jesus. And we want you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Making a commitment to the bridge won't help you. Making a commitment to Pharaoh Hardison won't help you. Making a commitment to some ministry team in this church won't help you. I'll tell you, when your life gets changed, your life will be changed when you commit yourself to Jesus Christ. That's when your life changes. That's when things begin to turn. So we want you to commit. So we want you to belong, commit, we want you to grow. We want you to take advantage of all the opportunities we have here for you to get your roots down and learn more about God. Small groups, Bible studies, one-on-one mentoring, all of these things are offered by our church to help you get your roots down and help you grow. And then we want you to serve. We want you to roll up your sleeves and get involved. Because when Jesus comes... We want him to look at you and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over much. We want that for you. Belong, commit, grow, serve. Can we say that together? Those four words? Belong, commit, grow, serve. Belong, commit, grow, serve. Belong, commit, grow, serve. Rawhide. <laughs> yeah. How many of y'all remember that TV show? Man, I'm telling my age today. Okay. Uh, I think Clint Eastwood was on. Anyway. Until a person knows, understands, and accepts what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, nearly 800 years before the birth of Jesus, that person knows nothing of eternal significance. You might know a lot. You might know a lot. You might have a lot of knowledge. You might, I, I get, look, you don't have to be very smart to be smarter than me. You're looking at a guy that in high school, I brought my report card one, one, home one time, and it had straight C's on it. You talk about average. Because I looked up there and see what C meant, and it said average. And I went, all right. So, <laughs> So you're not looking at the sharpest knife in the drawer up here. There's a lot of you who are a lot sharper and a lot smarter than I am. But I'm saying to you that you know nothing that is going to affect your life eternally in a positive way until you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So let's talk about the supernatural nature of Jesus. The supernatural nature of Jesus I want you to look at the little phrase, Isaiah 9 and 6, I want you to look at the very first part of that, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Now that looks like God's repeating himself, but he's not, because unto you a child is born speaks of the humanity of Jesus, and unto us a son is given speaks of the humanity deity of Jesus or the God part unto you a child is born speaks of the human part of Jesus what percentage of Jesus was human 100 he was 100% human but he was not only a child born he was the son of God given and that speaks of his deity and that is the godness of Jesus the fact that he was God Here's something you need to understand doctrinally. Well, I don't know if you'll ever understand it, but you need to put it down as truth. He was 100% man and 100% God. He was the God-man. Heaven's Son was given to the earth. When God sent his Christmas gift to the earth, what exactly was God's Christmas gift to us? Listen to this. When God gave Jesus, you know what God gave us? Himself. God said, what is the ultimate gift that I can give? I'll give myself in the form of my son, Jesus. And he gave us himself. God gave to man in Bethlehem the only thing that would save man. And that was God. God couldn't send a substitute. He had to send himself. He had to come here himself. Jesus Christ was deity wrapped in humanity. A child is born. A son is given. Now you know this already, but let me remind you that Jesus did not have his beginning in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. I want you to go in your Bibles if you're looking along with me. I think I'm using the New King James Version today. I think we can still go to heaven even using the New King James. And so I think I'm using that today. Uh, This might be straight up King James, so we are going to heaven. Now, uh, you might want to look up on the screen, or you can follow along in your pad or your Bible, whatever you got there. Uh, John 1, 1 through 3. So we're going from the Old Testament to the what? New Testament. In the beginning was the Word. Now, I want you to notice the word, Word, is capitalized because it isn't talking about word in the sense of speaking or saying. It is talking about a person, and that person is Jesus. Now, I'll explain that in just a moment. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the Christ. In the beginning was the Messiah. In the beginning was the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word And the word Jesus was what? With God. And the word Jesus? Oh, that's a big one right there. That's a big one. The same Jesus was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things, we're still talking about Jesus here. All things were what? Made by him. Well, he had to be here in the beginning if he made all things. All things were made by him, and without him, without Jesus, without the Christ, was not anything made that was made. So let's look at this and break this down. In the beginning was the word. The word word there is translated into Greek, logos. Logos, you've heard that word before. So when John says, in the beginning was the Word, he was not talking about a start. He was talking about a state of being. He wasn't saying Jesus started. He was saying Jesus always has been. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was not his start. I love this quote. I love this quote. When Jesus was born, he was as old as his father Who's his father? And he was as old as his father, and he was older than his mother. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was as old as his father and older than his mother. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The was there is an imperfect tense in the Greek, and it means a state of being, a continuous state of being. In other words... There is no beginning to Jesus. He did not begin with the manger. He did not begin with Mary. He always has been and he always will be. Now let's go on. And the Word or the Logos was with God and the Word was God. Well, here's the question. Was Jesus simply with God or was Jesus actually God? You know what the answer to that is? Yes. (laughs) He was with God, and he was God, and he is God. Jesus was both. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Listen to this. The same, that is Jesus, he says the same person, was in the beginning with God, telling us that Jesus was not historical Jesus is not a historical character. Jesus is before history. Jesus came before there was any history. Pre-history. He was, he is, he always will be. And notice what it says next. And by Jesus, all things were made. All things were made by him, it says. All things were made by whom? By the Word, by the Logos, by Jesus. And notice it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Did you know that everything you see around you in this world? You know, I, 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 uh, you, know you see TV shows and movies and, and the news, and, and they're in New York City or they're in Los Angeles or they're in some huge city like Chicago. And you just look at those cities and you're like, man, i like to visit. I'd like to just see what that looks like. You know, I would, too. I think I've been to Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, but I haven't been to New York City before. But you know what? Every time I go to those cities, it's really cool to look at all the stuff. But I thank God I live in Wayne County, North Carolina, don't you? (laughs) Amen. I thank God I live in Johnston County. And I know all you people that came here from the north and out west. I know y'all aren't used to everything, all the lights getting turned off at 8 o'clock every night. But we like it that way here. Just roll them sidewalks right on up. Let's all go to bed, amen. Uh, but, but you know, I, I, I'm saying all that to say that I, I'm glad I live in a place where I can still look around and see the creation of God. Big old oak trees and forest, woods that have been here longer than I've been alive. To go to the western part of the state and see the handiwork of God in the mountains. To go to the eastern part of the state and see the, the shores of, uh, the, uh, of North Carolina, the beach of North Carolina, the, the waves lap up on the beach and every time they make a noise they're saying glory to the creator. Praise be to the Lamb of God. And to be able to see that. And then I, I think about um, not long ago I was with a, a friend of mine and uh, we went out on a pier. He had a boat that was way out on a pier and we walked way out on that pier to his boat and we got away from the light. You know, it's really hard to get away from light these days. I mean, it's just about all the, way, all the time in the light somewhere. And, and you can't see the stars when you're in the light. But we got out on the end of that pier, and there wasn't any light anywhere. And he said, hey, man, look up. And I looked up, and I saw the stars as, as I remember seeing them as a little boy. I used to, I used to um, as a kid, boy, I, I wanted a telescope. I remember my mom and dad would buy me one, then they'd buy me a bigger one, a big one, and finally I, could, I got a telescope where I could actually see the craters on the moon. And I freaked out when I saw the craters on the moon. It was just amazing to me that I could see that from the earth. And I remember as a boy laying on my back at night, and we lived out in the country. How many of y'all know Shine's Crossroads is out in the country? How many of y'all know that? And we lived out there, and I remember laying on my back and just looking up and seeing the stars in it. And we had been studying the constellations at school, and so I recognized the, the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and some of the other ones. And, and then I saw, I saw stars over here, and it just looked like just a sort of a white cloud, and I knew that was the Milky Way. And then I learned that every star is a sun. Every single star is a sun. And we see as far as we can see, and we look as hard as we can look. But did you know that our solar system, the sun, you know, we're the third planet from the sun, and, and then there's all these other planets, and, and uh, we go around the sun. And I got to thinking, those are suns. Every one of those stars are suns, just like our sun. As a matter of fact, I discovered that our sun's one of the smallest, That most suns in the cosmos, most suns that we call stars in the universe are way bigger than our sun. Amazing. And the Bible says, and without Jesus, there was not anything made that was made. Jesus made it. The one who took the nails the one who took the beating on his back, the one who took the crown of thorns, the one who bled for you and died for you and rose from the dead. He made all that. You know what the Milky Way is? You know what the Milky Way is? It's a bunch of stars, all grouped so it looks like milk. It looks like a cloud of stars. Do you hear me? God made it. God made it all. Jesus is God. The Bible says without Jesus was not anything made that was made in the skies above, in the earth beneath, in beneath in the galaxies and solar systems beyond our vision. And on all of creation is his stamp, and it's not made in China. That's what most things you own say. But everything that was made says made by the word. Everything that was created has the stamp made by the Logos. Everything in this universe has the stamp made by Jesus Christ. Made by that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It was made by Jesus, the Milky Way, the universe. Colossians 1.16. I'm not going to read it to you. Write it down. If you're taking notes, look it up. It's clearer in that verse than anywhere else in the Bible, Colossians 1.16. So in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, why does it call Jesus the Word? Because words express a thought or idea. I'm up here giving you words. I'm expressing a thought or idea. I hope I'm doing it in a way that you're not dozing off and going to sleep. But but words are uh, an expression. If I want you to see something in your mind, if I want you to articulate something or if I want you to understand who I am, I use words. Jesus is the expression of God. Jesus is the articulation of God. Jesus coming into the world is the Word who shows us who God is. He is the Word of God because He is the expression of God. Jesus articulates God, therefore He's called the Word of God. Now, the central message today, if you had not already got it, is simply this. Jesus Christ is fully God. When you pray to Jesus, you're praying to God. When you see Jesus hanging on the cross in the artist's renderings, that's God. When you see that empty tomb and him coming out of it in your mind's eye, how that might have looked you're looking at God. When you read his words, you're reading the words of God. Jesus is the full and complete expression of God. He is God. John the Apostle, when he wrote the book of John, listen now. When John the Apostle wrote the book of John, he was—it was it was 50 or 60 years after the events of the book of John. So he's an older man when he writes the book. You know, I think a lot of times we think they're writing the book as everything's happening. He wrote this 50 or 60 years after the events that he wrote about. Now, you've got to understand that ingrained in John is this horror of blaspheming God. There's this tremendous fear in him that he's been taught since a child uh, uh, by, by the prophets and by the priests, and, and, and you cannot blaspheme God. And he's got this tremendous horror that, that he might somehow blaspheme God, yet with total confidence, with complete confidence, he writes down right here in John chapter 1, the Word was God. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't stammer. He doesn't stutter. He says, the word, Jesus, was God. And what he's telling us, that everything God is, Jesus is. And everything God has, Jesus has. And everything God does, Jesus does. The word was with God. Everybody say the rest with me. And the word was God. Let me give you a couple more scriptures as we close. The reason I push this today The reason I preach it the way I'm preaching it, because you know what? Most of you sitting out there go, I got that. But you know, I think there are those among us who are probably still struggling with that. And one of the reasons I really push this and preach this and declare this, and let me help you understand that this is just a tiny bit of the scriptures that I've given you that bear out who Jesus was. I could give you hundreds of more scriptures. I mean, there are passages where Jesus is explaining to them, I am God. He's telling them, I am God, over and over and over again. But the reason I talk about it and the reason I'm pushing it and the reason I'm passionate about it today is because this is where the battleground is. This is where the battleground is. This is where people draw the line. They don't mind if you call Jesus a good teacher. They don't mind if you call Jesus a good prophet. They don't mind if you call Jesus a good preacher. They don't mind if you call him a religious leader. They don't mind if you call him a rabbi. They don't mind if you call him all of those things. But you cannot say he's God. Because when you say Jesus is God, to them it is blasphemy. That's when you see the hair stand up on the back of their neck. No, he wasn't God. And the Jews will argue about this because they wanted a king to come and take over the world and put down every other kingdom. And for him to rule. And that's why they didn't receive Christ in a manger. Well, he's not coming like that in Bethlehem. He's coming like that the next time. And we look for him to come the next time. The Messiah, Jesus, is still, they're still looking for him. The the Jew stands on his tiptoes every day and looks in the horizon for Jesus to come the first time. But those of us who know Jesus stand on our tiptoes and look every day to see the second advent, the second coming. You see, the fact that Jesus is God, I'm going to ask, please uh, take that child out, please. Thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to just, uh, as I talk about Jesus being God, I want you to understand that it is a cornerstone of Orthodox Christianity. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, But to the Son Jesus... Your throne, O God. But to the Son, Jesus, he says, Your throne who? Say it with me. But to the Son, Jesus, he says, Your throne who? He's talking to who? Jesus, and he calls him, is forever and ever. Meaning the Son, Jesus, is God. The Bible teaches, again, that we're to be looking for Jesus to come. Look what it says in Titus uh, Titus 2 and verse 13. Titus 2 and verse 13. Thank you. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who is, he's our great what? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for him to come. When Thomas saw Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead, In John 20, 28, you know Thomas. What do we call Thomas? Who do we call him? Doubting Thomas. You know what I say on Thomas's behalf, though? At least when he saw Jesus and encountered him, he believed. There are a lot of people who Jesus has moved in their life and blessed them and and solved problems for them and intervened in their lives, and they still don't recognize him. They still don't serve him. So at least when Thomas saw him, he did, and the Bible says when he saw Jesus, you remember what Thomas said? He said, "I've got to see the scars. I've got to, i got to touch the scar in his side where they pierced him. I got to, I got to, I got to do that. I, I can't believe." And then when Jesus walked into the room and Thomas saw him, the Bible says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, uh, Thomas said, Thomas fell before him and said, "My Lord and my what? That's what Thomas called him." Um, in the book of Exodus, Moses—and I just so relate to Moses. And I'm certainly no Moses, but I relate to his insecurities. Moses uh, was very insecure as a leader, and and Moses, um, Moses asked. He said, "He said, Lord, I I know you're telling me to go to the Jews and tell them that I'm going to lead them out of Egyptian bondage, but but Lord, I stutter. I, I got a speech impediment." I don't talk, you know, it's kind of like, oh, good old Wayne County, but I don't talk too good, God, you know? And that's how Moses was talking to God. He said, I mean, what if they ask me who sent me? What if they ask me that? He said, if they ask you who sent you, you tell them that the I am sent you. You tell them that I am that I am sent you. You tell them that Jehovah sent you. You tell them that Yahweh sent you. You tell them that Elohim sent you. You tell them that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God Almighty, sent you. And Moses probably said, okay. (laughs) Well, we go from there to the New Testament. And we find Jesus having a conversation in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. And Jesus says, and he's trying to get them to understand who he is. He says, I am the very same words God used in Exodus, Jesus uses in John. As a matter of fact, I hope you'll go and study that scripture. It's a long passage, and we don't have time to get into it this morning, but it's John 8, 48 through 59. But one of the most awesome stories is in John 18, verses 4 through 6, when they came to arrest Jesus just before hanging him on the cross. And they said, we are looking for one Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus was standing right there. You know, most people have Jesus pictured as 6'4", flowing hair, and a muscular build, towering over everybody else. All these guys got there, they couldn't tell tell who Jesus was. They couldn't tell which one Jesus was. The Bible says there was nothing about his appearance that would make you think, this is a great man. But when he opened his mouth, you knew it. And he's standing there, and they said, which one of you is Jesus? And here's what Jesus said. I am. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says those guards fell down. They stepped back and fell to the ground. Because I believe when Jesus said it, it was with the same power that God spoke from heaven to Moses and said, I tell you what you tell them, you tell them, I am sent you. And then we find Jesus in the book of John saying, I am God. Fully God. Here's the whole deal about that. If he wasn't God, then his death on the cross meant nothing to us. There were many, many great prophets who died martyrs' deaths. Matter of fact, Thomas died a martyr's death. Peter died a martyr's death. We could talk on and on and on. John the Baptist was beheaded. Many, many great prophets, great teachers, great Apostles, great men of God, died a martyr's death, but they meant nothing to us. So why? What is different about the death of Jesus? Here's what's different. God had to die. God had to give his life. God had to pay the ransom. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Only he could pay it, and he gave his life. And it was the death of the God-man on the cross that redeemed us or provided for us Redemption, if we will receive it. I love this old song we used to sing when I was a little boy. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest, that ever was heard. Let's pray.